All of a sudden, I thought I was a uh, FM jack from 1968. But I'm not. I am Tony Visick, and uh, you are watching Living on a Thin Line. And we're getting ready to go live now on several other portals. We're getting ready to go live on YouTube. And we're getting ready to go live on uh, on uh, Facebook Live. I just need one second here, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll have the whole world in order exactly the way you like it. Um, and there we go. Three, two, one. And we are live, ladies and gentlemen. We're live on all three of our platforms. We are, uh, we're live on Comedy Schools, Radio Network.com, YouTube, Comedy Schools, and Facebook Live. And you are watching and listening to Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. I am Tony Visick. We come to you every day at 2 p.m. Arizona time. We are your daily distraction from all the anger, anxiety, weirdness, and hoopla in the world today. The show is built around three things. Count them. Uno, dos, tres. Three things uh, broadcast over three platforms. It's built around your questions and comments as you uh, question and comment on the aforementioned uh, social media platforms. It's based around some knick-knack, paddywhack, doodad, weirdness, hoopla that we have sitting around in the room that we try to weave a story around. Uh, and it's based on recommending one or two artists or pieces of music based on our vast vinyl album and compact disc collection. It is uh, Tuesday, the year of our Lord. Next week, at this time, we'll be finalizing voting for the President of the United States of America. Uh, the, um, the, uh, the opponents, of course, are one uh, Donald J. Trump and one Joseph Biden. Um, I am urging you to vote. I have already now, and I'm urging you to get a little more involved. I said sometime back, some friends of mine, I go, it's not going to be enough to just vote and watch Rachel Maddow this time around. So I've gotten myself as involved as much as I possibly can at the local level in helping out and volunteering. Next Tuesday, between 10 and 1, I will be handing out uh, campaign cards for a member of the Maricopa City Councilman, Andre LaFond, who is the only guy I have a yard sign up for, by the way. Uh, I'll actually be down at a polling site. I thought I'd be avoiding uh, the wild, wild west of polling sites by voting early, which uh, Shirley and I both did. But uh, I have now volunteered to be at a polling site on Election Day. So I don't know, maybe I'll Zoom it live so we can see just what's going on with, the, uh, with our, how our franchise is being respected or not being respected. So a week from now, uh, it's all going to come to head. Champ de Blasio says, you, are usually, you usually get a no- notification that you were on, and I didn't get one the other day or today, but I'm here, and I'll be here for a little good, Champ, and I'm glad you are here, buddy. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Classiest guy in West Virginia. That's what I say. Hello, Tina and Mike Lawson. Um, I was just on the phone with uh, Michael Finney. Now, uh, if, you're, if you're in Arizona and you're into comedy, you have been for a long time, you know who Michael Finney is. You know who Michael Finney is. Michael Finney is uh, one of the uh, number one top-rated comedy magicians in the world. Uh, He has played all over the world. For years, he put on one of the biggest uh, charity events in Arizona, the Dry Heat Classic. And I was talking to him. We're going to be doing some stuff together. And I realized I have known Michael Finney since 1986. Since 1986. And I called up uh, my good friend, buddy, and pal, Jim Perry, who I'm partnered with at JP's Comedy Club, jpscomedyclub.com. I called him up and said, listen, man, Finney wants to come down and do some sets and knock the dust off. So we're not going to really advertise it because it's just working out. But uh, starting next weekend, um, 
Michael Finney and yours truly will start showing up at JP's Comedy Club to work out some stuff for our upcoming specials and shows that we will be uh, promoting and producing in 2021. And I realized that's how long I've known Michael Finney, since 1986. And then I realized something else. Here's what we're going to talk about at first today. We're not going to talk politics. We're going to talk comedy. Okay. I was watching the Showtime documentary about the comedy store. Uh, I don't know how many more episodes they possibly could have, but I've seen three so far. The first one covering what would be considered the uh, early era, the David Letterman, Jay Leno era, to name the two biggest ones that come out of then there that were like pure comedy store guy comics. Then the second one was covering more of the Kinison era, although it was really dedicated more to Whitney Cummings. And the third one was the considered the Joe Rogan era. And I really enjoyed watching these documentaries for the most part. I know, not well, but I know the gentleman who produced them, Mike Binder. I've known him since the 80s. I know about half of the people who were interviewed in this documentary, some who I've hired some who uh, I've opened for, some who have opened for me, some who I'm just friends with, some who I don't like. And of course, that early, the early days of the comedy store in the 70s was probably the most magical time. Uh, I mentioned Letterman and Leno, but also hanging out there at the time, Robin Williams and Richard Pryor, you know, and there was those legendary, probably the, probably there's been two great peaks for the comedy store. And that was when Richard Pryor was working out the material for Live on the Sunset Strip and then the rise of Sam Kinison because Sam changed comedy. Richard Pryor, with his early specials, made everyone want to be stand-up comics, caused a, probably caused an explosion in comedy. And then Sam changed it. He changed it. But that leads us to Sunday night's episode. Now keep in mind, some of my closest friends are also involved with this. But this is the one that was dedicated primarily to Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, once again, I am a poodle barking at a freight train. Joe Rogan has a massive podcast that gets up to 20 million downloads. Now, Mark Maron is the granddaddy of the, American, of the modern American podcast. He's the guy who went in his garage, started podcasting when nobody knew it would be, and became a guy who actually had uh, President Barack Obama in his garage, because that's where Mark did his show, being interviewed by him. They showed the great clip of Barack Obama. goes, if you would have told me 30 years ago that I'd be president of the United States, I'd be being interviewed in a garage by a comic a few blocks from where I used to live, I tell you. <laughs> so there's no denying what they did. But here's the other thing they did that bothers me. All right, and I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm going to be one of the few to do it. And I've got no dog in this hunt. It makes no difference in my life at this time, what I'm about to say. Okay? But I thought what they did how they portrayed Carlos Mencia in this week's special was abysmal. There was no need for it. None at all. None at all to keep perpetuating this myth that Carlos Mencia is the baddest, mean, not bad in, the, in a good way, but is the, is the biggest jerk in stand-up comedy. No reason at all to perpetuate that myth about Carlos. Now, Carlos, I know Carlos. Carlos knows me. I like Carlos Mencia. More to the point, I saw Carlos Mencia when he was starting out over at the Laugh, uh, over, at, uh, um, uh, over in the San Fernando Valley. 
over in San Fernando Valley in the early 90s. I remember walking into a club in San Fernando Valley, getting ready to go on, and I see a guy on stage, and I go, who's that guy? And they go, that's Carlos, he's new. And I looked up and I went, wow, there he is. There's the gunslinger. There's the dragon slayer. He's on stage right now. I don't know what he's talking about, but God damn, has he got the demon. I remember thinking that, and you know what? It wasn't the most pleasant thought in the world at the time because I thought I had the demon. I thought I was the dragon slayer of stand-up comedy. But there was Carlos, and I knew him a, a little bit when he was starting out. And then, of course, he blew up. He blew up. And, of course, the great myth of Carlos Mencia being a joke thief was then perpetuated. Here's my problem. There was no reason, if you're going to do the history of the comedy store, to spend as much time as they did, uh, once again, besmirching Carlos Mencia. If you're going to talk about Joe Rogan's rise, fall, and rise again, there was no reason to envelop it in uh, shit-talking and trash-talking, uh, who's a good guy, who I know has helped a lot of comics. Has he stolen jokes? I'm going to tell you all a little secret, okay? I don't know a headliner whose name is known ever who hasn't reworked, changed, or taken some other jokes, somebody else's jokes. I don't know a headliner anywhere who hasn't under the guise of helping an opening actor, an amateur comic, when, hey, man, and listen, maybe I may get you that gig, but hey, you know that one joke you do? I was wondering maybe, hasn't in a sense exploited the relationship. I haven't known a major legendary headliner who hasn't had writers working for them. And I'll tell you why I thought it was hypocritical. Once again, it's a great documentary. some great stuff. Some real weird nostalgia for me. I wasn't a comedy store guy. I was an improv guy. And then even not that much, because I decided to just go out on my own, do my own thing, like I'm doing now. I prefer to do my own thing with no sword hanging over my head. Richard Pryor was a comedy god. But a guy named Paul Mooney wrote a lot of his stuff, just like Lenny Bruce is the comedy god. But Joe Ansis wrote a lot of his stuff. Chris Rock is a stunning comic, but one of his best specials is written by Louis C.K. Robin Williams was a comic genius, but if you want to start listing out comics who out and out took other people's bits and material whole cloth and then spewed them out like they were their own and got the fame and adulation for what some poor bastard wrote while he was still living in a studio apartment in North Hollywood, I got to put Robin way up on the list and Carlos way down on the list. The problem with Carlos is that he's a great performer. And comics, a lot of comics can't stand that. The joke that they used to show that Carlos was a thief was a joke that they originally put up as uh, written by a comic named Ari Shafir. And I don't know Ari Shafir. I know who he is. Now, here he's a very good comic. He's one of the comedy store guys, current comedy store guys. And the joke was from way back in 2004. And the joke was, uh, so George, uh, and I'm paraphrasing the setup somewhat, but you'll get it. Uh, George Bush is saying he's going to build a wall Okay, uh, he's going to deport everybody and build a wall of brick that's 12 feet high. Excuse me, who's going to build that wall? Now they showed side by side Ari Shafir saying it and then Carlos Mencia saying it. But let me tell you something. Hell, I wrote that joke. When I first heard we could deport people and build a wall, and I, I went, hey, you know what? And I went, I'm not telling that. To me, that's too easy. That's what I thought. 
And at the time, I was deeply into my uh, workshop stuff and wasn't touring a lot anyway. I might have given it to one of the comics I was working with. Here, use this line. I didn't know Ari Shafir had claimed 100% in controversy, in, in what, 100% uh, uh, provenance over that group of words. I guarantee you, 100 guys wrote that joke. And they go, well, see, it was Ari's joking in, in the Carlos stuff. You know, and I go, man, if this is the joke they're using to prove that Carlos Mencia steals jokes, then they've got a weak, weak argument. He has to be the bugaboo. And why? Because he was such a powerful performer with such energy early on. They showed the episode where Joe Rogan actually went up on stage while Carlos was on and tried to berate and humiliate him on stage. And out of that, Joe Rogan lost his agent manager, was banned from the comedy store. And people go, I can't believe it, you were banned and Carlos wasn't. Well, your behavior was abysmal, Joe. Your behavior was repugnant. To go up on stage <coughs> in almost a physically violent posture while a guy's performing and try to destroy him. Well, that's pathetic. That's my take. I don't know what yours is. Okay, I'm not in the business of tearing people down. I'm in the business of building people up. And I don't like seeing it. Okay, that's what we were talking about today. So now let's get to the stuff, shall we? Let's get to the stuff, shall we? Um, I hope this gets out. I hope it gets out that there's one guy going, uh, I prefer Carlos Mencia over Joe Rogan. Any of the week. You know, nothing against Joe and his podcast. You know, and there's people in my family that love Joe Rogan's podcast. They say it's a great podcast. They listen all the time. I'm not taking that away. I go, you know what? You know what? Mark Maron was the first podcast guy. Well, I'm not doing that. Joe Rogan do what he wants. He's had a nice career. He was on a sitcom a long time ago for a few years. You know, he got specials. He got all that stuff. He did okay. Good for him. My more complaint is that they decided to try to trash a guy in national television the way they did, and it wasn't necessary. Not necessary. I think it's interesting, and I'm just going to say this. All right, if I want to dig in, I'm going to dig in. All right? I saw, and that's a great special. It's a great special. And I love seeing the interviews with Leno and Letterman and uh, uh, Dice and all these people. But I'm trying to think back over to three nights which Latina or Latino comic they gave any adulation to. And you know what? I can't think of one. I can't think of one. But I saw one that they tried to destroy, and they shouldn't. You ever get a chance to see him? Um, Carlos, see him. If you ever get a chance to see Joe Rogan, see him. See these guys. They're funny guys. Okay. They just want to make you laugh. All right, let's get to the stuff. And I got stuff. You know what they opened up in my town? In my town. Right here in my town. Right by Taco Bell. You know what they opened up? Something's going to bankrupt me. Hold they opened up a cat sanctuary. Do you think we should show everybody Ray? Yeah. All right, hold on, everybody. They opened up a cat sanctuary. They did not open up a cat sanctuary. Okay, but here, ladies and gentlemen, for you to follow the show is Ray the Wonder Cat. Okay. Uh, a guy who uh, dug his way out of a dump. wife was next to it. So I get out of a dumpster. He's less than a day old. He's now healthy as a horse. And he's fun. And he's cute. And he's mean. And he's all the things a kitten's supposed to be. Thank you, Sullivan Ramirez. If you can now take Ray while I finish the show. <laughs> there we go. All right. Comic books? comic books. Yes. Yes. We got comic books. All right. So um, that's what they opened up in my neighborhood is a comic book store. <laughs> 
and we went into it. And I've already spent 50 bucks. So, <laughs> and I'm looking for the comic I'm going to share with you today because it's so cool. All right, I found this. Um, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to find it. Uh, you're going to like it. You're going to be jazzed. Here. I don't know anything about comic book collecting. Okay? Somebody said great cat. Uh, what else do I got here? I had a whole long thing that then... Okay, Chomp de Blasio. Uh, I'll usually get... No, okay, all right. Can't, all right. So, um, this is Marvel Comics Spider-Man. That set me back. Okay? I'm not going to tell you how much it costs, but it costs. This is Marvel Comics Group, Marvel Tales, starring Spider-Man, One Dead or Alive. This is a 25-cent comic book. Okay? And... Uh, it's number 53. It is a reprint of an earlier Spider-Man comic book. That I didn't know. This one came out in the 70s in 1975. So that's old. Now, I wasn't reading comic books like this in 1975. There were comic books I looked at, but we've talked about them on this show before. Those were the underground comics. Uh, Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, the R. Crumb comics, Gilbert Shelton stuff. Dr. All of, What's that? Doctor Doom. Dr. Doom, all that... All that cool stuff. But when I was a little boy, 10, 11, 12 years old, 8, 9, 10, Spider-Man was my guy. When I was a little, little boy, of course, Superman. We had that TV show. But then we found Spider-Man. So by the time this came out, I was no longer reading Spider-Man comic books. Because I was, what, 19, 20 years old? 20 years old? But this one is based on one from when I was young and read it. Spider-Man, want it dead or alive. The cops got Spider-Man cornered. And Spider-Man pretty much blew away when he came along in the 60s. Kind of pretty much blew away Superman. You tell you, you think about what shaped your sense of humor, what shaped your sense of narrative. Uh, Spider-Man, a lot for me. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. Now you might go, oh, that's silly. That shows how post-literate the world is. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, the uh, wonderful Coen Brothers movie with uh, George Clooney. It's based on the tales of Ulysses. That's who the Coen Brothers said is based on. But not on the original Greek stories, but on the gold key classic comics. They go, we never actually read. We never actually ever read Ulysses. We just know the comic book. And they based that entire movie on the comic book version of Ulysses, the Gold Key Classics. So there's something to be said about well-written comic books. And there's something to be said about Spider-Man. Because when he came along, Superman was a god. Superman could actually fly around the world fast enough at that point, the narrative that was created in the DC Comics, and make time go backwards. He was infallible. He was invincible. Therefore, he was no longer interesting. Peter Parker was just a kid who actually got bit by a spider that was, uh, uh, had been radiated with nuclear energy and then got incredible spider powers that he didn't necessarily want. And it didn't make him less awkward. It made him more awkward. And he was a guy with a secret. And he was awkward. And he had a sense of responsibility. And he felt alone in the world. And he felt uncomfortable with his own skin. And he was fumbling around girls. And he couldn't really be honest with anybody about what was going on inside him. Because he's afraid they'd think he was crazy. And I just described every adolescent boy between the ages of 8 and 14, possibly 15. And that's why Spider-Man 
so, so, so resonated at the time he came along and literally exploded because he was one of us. So anyway, you got this comic book store. I bought a bunch of uh, cool comic books. I'll tell you, I'll be showing them to you in the coming weeks. But there it is. Uh, even though this is from 1975, it's actually a reprint of a 60s comic book. Very cool. This one's in great shape. Uh, put together by the uh, legendary Stan Lee. That's our stuff for the day. We're going to start going with some of the um, some of the comic book ideas going along. Angela, F uh, Mike Munley says Fritz the Cat. Oh, man, we love Fritz the Cat. Those movies, man, were just stunning. Uh, Angela Fox says, I just watched this and I thought it was timely because you talk about voting and you always take us on a time warp here. Tenacious D rocking the vote with the time warp to watch later. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Angela. Um, now let's get to the music. Who are we going to recommend today? Somebody who we should have to recommend. Somebody who should always be near and dear to your heart, but somehow isn't. Is it Flathead? No. It will be Flathead sometime. It is Chuck Berry, a man who influenced Flathead, by the way, my young Sullivan. Uh, that is Chuck Berry, okay? And this album is just called Chuck Berry, Reelin' and Rockin', Roll Over Beethoven, Johnny B. Good. And it's put out on Pickwick, which is Mercury Records, which did a lot of repackaging. So this is a repackaged album, and I don't know what year this particular album was uh, released because this is previously released on Mercury Records Stereo. So this was a re-release years after it was made of a Chuck Berry album. <clears throat> and in it, it contains, all on one album, the birth of rock and roll. Side A, Johnny B. Good, Memphis, Tennessee, Roll Over Beethoven, Sweet Little 16 School Days. Side B, Maybelline, Reelin' and Rockin', Rock and Roll Music, and Back in the USA. These are the songs that almost everybody learns how to play the guitar to. These are the songs that created rock and roll. These are the chords. These are the chord progressions. This is it. As Keith Richards said one time, he goes, well, it all, go back, it all goes back to Buddy Holly and everything I know about the guitar I stole from Chuck Berry. <laughs> Chuck Berry... Fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. Okay? Uh, I've watched specials about him. I've read a lot about him. Fascinating guy. Coming up out of St. Louis and East St. Louis in the late 40s and early 50s, playing the black clubs and later on to be able to play mixed race clubs, uh, putting together his own style uh, based off of, I believe he said, Elmore Leonard and uh, the guy who played lead guitar with, I believe, the Glenn Miller or Benny Goodman band. Okay, mixing, you mix those things together and you got Chuck Berry. Um, a survivor where so many people who had a lifestyle of rock and roll and music died young he lived well into his 80s a man who went through several fortunes some which he lost some which were stolen from him a man who went to prison on what many people believe and I believe absolutely trumped up charges do you want to know how scary rock and roll was to America in the 1950s who were the big boys Chuck Berry Elvis Presley, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis. Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Little Richard, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Those were the big boys of the 50s. Those are the guys who exploded out of jukeboxes, erupted out of hi-fis in teenage girls' rooms, and shot like a cannon out of black and white television screens into millions of American homes. And it scared the living shit out of the adults at the time. And by 1960 or so, it was all over.
all over. Elvis was in the army. Chuck Berry had been thrown in jail. Jerry Lee Lewis, shamed. Little Richard either went nuts and quit or was blackmailed into quitting. There's two different stories on that. They were gone, replaced by the soft, sweet stuff of Ricky Nelson. And nothing against Ricky. He was a great guy. He's a great guy. He did some great stuff. But if you want to go back and listen to the original, listen to the master, I'm going to say, man, I don't even know which one to pick out of this. You know, we're going to go with one that maybe, um, let's go with, uh, uh, we'll go with Sweet Little 16. We're going to recommend Sweet Little 16. No, 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 no. No, we got to go with Johnny Be Good. We got to go with Johnny Be Good. You know, I didn't know Chuck Berry that well when I was a young teenager, but I remember hearing, hearing a, a version of Johnny Be Good by Johnny Winter that I went, my God, that is the greatest song I've ever heard. The greatest song. Then I realized that they had been written by Chuck Berry. You know, our generation so valued honesty and authenticity. And the current generation says they so value honesty and authenticity. But as you start digging in the music of our generation, you realize that it was built on the music of a past generation. Bob Dylan's, uh, um, not the times they are changing, um, it's a hard rain's going to fall. The uh, rhythm to that is an old Scottish folk ballad, and he redid the words on it. So much of modern rock and roll is based right off of what Chuck Berry did, including most of what the Rolling Stones did. So much is built on the backs of others, and we don't know that. We don't know that. We didn't know, as we were just going crazy over the Beatles doing Twist and Shout, that it was an Isley Brothers song. And then every once in a while we complain about a Led Zeppelin. Go, oh, man, they just ripped off those blues artists. They ripped them off. And then we complain about a Carlos Mencia going, he might have taken somebody's jokes. And it makes us feel better. Because then we don't have to concentrate on our own hypocrisy and our own lies. Okay, that's it for the day, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, if you're looking to have some fun, you want to have some fun, not in the sun, but indoors, safe social distancing. Go to JP's Comedy Club jpscomedyclub.com, 860 East Warner Road, this Thursday and Friday and Saturday. One of the funniest guys in America, I'm going to go out on the limb and say this, one of the funniest guys in America, one of the funniest guys you've never heard of, Jonathan Gregory. And yours truly will be there uh, for a couple of shows on Friday and Saturday doing some guest sets, working out what's eventually going to be my first special. That'll be my first special, okay? So uh, we're going to be working on all that. You'll be able to come down there Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Tickets, jpscomedyclub.com. If you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy or like a little, little learn. <laughs> Man, I was doing so good. They were, the words were just clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking. And then one clacked. If you'd like to learn something about being a stand-up comic or uh, improve your public speaking skills, kind of blew that out of the water. Go to ComedySchools.com, ComedySchools.com. We've got great workshops that have seen people go all the way from first time on stage in national television. We'd love to work with you. That's it. That's all. Farewell. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. Heidi ho. <laughs>